My dad was the program manager of the Mark 46 Torpedo. For 17 years, he was the program manager of the Mark 46 Torpedo. This is the patent for the Mark 46 Torpedo. The inventor is Morton O. Heinrich. The title is Homing Torpedo System. And, and this is the patent for the Mark 46 Torpedo that my dad, my dad okay. did for the United States Navy. I was also the 46th Chief of the Supply Corps. And so, and so my, dad, my dad said, oh, now I have two Mark 46s. Welcome to Depth and Distance, the podcast where we break down different skills that every leader needs to know into something manageable and learnable so that anybody can become a better leader and a great leader. This week we're talking about networking and specifically we brought on a guest who was very senior, uh, is retired now and can look back at a career and see not only how networking changed his path, but what was effective when people were networking with him. So I'm really excited. It's got a little more sea story flavor than we usually do, but I think it's great. It is a little more Supply Corps specific, um, but Supply Corps is the best, obviously. So stick with it. I think there's some really great information and perspective in here, and I hope you enjoy. This week on the podcast, I've got retired Admiral Heinrich, who is the 46th Chief of the Supply Corps just before I came in. And we're going to be talking about networking, but more importantly, or first at least, if you'd like to introduce yourself, talk a little bit little bit about your career. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Hi, hi, Alexis. I'm Mark Heinrich. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I've been following it and following your career for a very short period of time. I'm very impressed and I'm excited to be on here. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a real treat to spend a little bit of time today chatting with you. I am the 46th Chief of Supply and I was in I joined the Navy, I guess I took my first oath of office on July 7th, 1975, when I was sworn in at the Naval Academy from the class of 1979. We were, we were, we were, we were an interesting class. We, we had many challenges as a class and we were, we first off, we were the last all male class at the Academy, which is really interesting. And, and second is, I think we may have had the lowest aggregate grade point average of any class ever to graduate from Navy. So it, it was a, it was a great run. I was, I was uh, on the swim team. Uh, I did not repose myself particularly well in the, in the, in, in the, in the classroom, but I was a pretty good swimmer. So there's that, but I was also colorblind. And, and when I was, when I was, all the kids from San Diego County were invited down to North Island Naval Air Station on a foggy February day in 1975 to take our, our medical tests. And there was a bleary eyed corpsman, you know, administering them all. And there were 26 of us, I think. And, and all I remember was when I took the Farnsworth lantern test, which is two lights that one over the other, they ask you to say, you know, red over white, they spin the dial and you say white over green. And, and, and when I was all done, Frank Sablon, who was right behind me, grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, Mark, I think I'm colorblind. I said, why? He said, because I didn't see any of the colors that you saw. Oh, no. <laughs> and it turned out I was colorblind. So when I got to the Naval Academy my freshman year... And by the way, I, I passed my test. He just wrote passed because he was, like I said, it was a bleary eyed day. And, you know, so we all passed our tests. You know. <laughs> so, so, so at Naval Academy, they figured out that I really was colorblind. So I had a finite number of choices and, and the supply corps was the, what interested me. My first ship was a destroyer out of San Diego. I got aboard in April and we deployed in May. 
And, and, and we had a fire, you know, of all the things, the young supply officers are, the, are, are generally put in the repair two. And so I was the repair two locker officer rooming with the damage control assistant. And about five o'clock in the morning, we were about a month out of port. We had stopped in Hawaii and we're heading south towards Australia. And Master Chief Kirchgastner was the officer of the deck. And he, he, he came out in the port bridge wing to, to light, up, light up his pipe. And he looked aft and he saw smoke gushing out of the, the uptakes. And he said, we're on fire, sound general quarters. Oh, you've been a, you've been like a full on supply officer for two months at that point, right? Yeah, for two months. And so, and so what you, what figured out was Kincaid was the third ship of the lot of the class. And, and we had a space called Ox 2. Both of the auxiliary machine rooms were unmanned. This is the first mm-hmm. ship to have an unmanned space, really. And there were no real cameras. We didn't have anything like that. And so it was, it was the black smoke coming out of the uptakes that, that gave us a clue. And they released Halon, but they couldn't. The, and what had happened, by the way, is one of the fuel oil purifiers would spin at a very high rate of speed. The top had popped off a little bit. And it was blowing fuel all over the space and it just lifted and, and they couldn't secure power because, because they had lines. They had, every time they thought they had secured power to the space, the fire would reflash because we had lines that went to other spaces and they didn't understand when they had wired the ship that, that yeah. being able to secure the power to aux two, it was impossible to secure the power because of the way the ship was wired. So, yeah. so we fought the fire all day. And ended up limping into Guam. The only, the only, only guy got hurt was Art Bounds, who was a second class cook. And Art had Art slipped. They had so much firefighting water on the main deck that he slipped on the main deck and he caught one of the swabs. It was a you know a Cadillac, so he caught the arm of a Cadillac the right in his right in his shoulder blade, Ugh. and he and he had a had a wound there. That was the only real injury. So no real smoke or anything like that. We. We ran out of OBA canisters and they airlifted canisters from the USS Long Beach that was in company with us. So it was, but it was, it was, it was a tough day. Yeah. And so, and so that was kind of my first experience, but we had, we had great port visits and, 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 uh, and we went, we actually went, uh, you know, this is 1980. So the, the cold war is hot and going. And we went into the Sea of Okutsk, which mm-hmm. is an in a Russian inland sea up towards Vladivostok. Yeah. And we had a whole bunch of ships with us and we did it to see how the Russians would respond. And we had a whole bunch of intelligence officers and, and specialists on board and, and, and they learned a great deal from it. So that's the kind of stuff we did. We, we made port in Subic Bay a couple of times to, to refuel and rearm. And, yeah. and that's, that, that was actually where I figured out that maybe that would be a place to do my second tour. So mm-hmm. I did my second tour in Subic. And I ran the fuel farm out there. I was the assistant officer in charge of the fuel farm, and and it was it was a great experience. I worked for I worked for Bill Powell, who was oh, wow. the yeah. who was the first African American flag officer in the supply corps, and I was uh, able to honor him when I was when I was the chief of supply. We named the library at the schoolhouse the the Admiral Bill Powell Library, and we had yes. I invited Montel Williams to come up and a bunch of other folks to come up, and we had a. We had a lot of fun doing that for him and his family, and so I love that library. I spent a lot of time there, both yeah, yeah, and an instructor. Yeah. So indeed, a, yeah. So it was so it was a lot of fun, and and then from there I went to AirPack, and I was the young lieutenant on the AirPack staff, responsible for overseeing the fuels 
the fuels operations at all the 14 uh, West Coast air stations. And then, and then to the Secretary of Defense's staff as a, what they call the Professional Energy Enhancement Program. Uh, it was a one-year program there. And I, I worked for a guy named Jeff Jones, who worked directly for the uh, Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Logistics. And, and, so, and so from there, I went to graduate school. Now, now you know, the, the footnote is I went from there to graduate school and I'd never done an apartment head tour. If you did that today, people would look at you like, what are you doing? That's impossible. I was going to say so, the detailers would never... Detailers, detailers would lose their mind, and so. Yeah. But I yet so here I am at the University of Kansas, and and I, despite the fact that I broke saw all sorts of China doing this detail, I selected for lieutenant commander, and and then from there to to a department head assignment aboard USS Gridley, which was a, a steel nosed, Leahy class cruiser with trial by twelve hundred pounds steam, and and it was a great experience. The you know, I learned the value of a department head relationship that is unbreakable. And the chief engineer and I, you know, as a department head, you know, we were best friends. And so was the ops officer. And, and yeah. it was it was tremendous. Okay, I have to ask, when you graduated, commissioned in the Supply Corps, did you think you were a lifer? No, <laughs> nobody does. <laughs> no. Some people come in and they're like, I've got stars in my eyes. I'm going to do it. Was that you? No, I had a, I had a friend when I was, when I was on the air pack staff, there was a friend of mine who, who I won't, I won't say his name, but he, he, I know full well, he had, he, he had his, you know, his four and aft cover. A couple of guys told me he had a, he had an Admiral star pinned inside his four and aft cover. And oh. just to remind him what his goal was. And, and I, okay. and I, and I said, that just doesn't make any sense. You know, most guys graduate from the Naval Academy or wherever they're coming from, you know, their, their joke is, you know, my commitment is five years in an hour. And I said, what's the hour for? Well, the hour is to burn your uniforms. You know? Oh <laughs> so, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so, so okay. yeah, so I, I, I was, I was, I was not by any stretch a lifer. And I was, and I was also a guy who made, you know, people talk about making mistakes. I made lots of them. I made Good. lots of mistakes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I was, I also had a lot of fun, but I can tell these stories because they're just ridiculous. I got a B in judgment on my, my depart, detaching fitness report from NSD Subic Bay. And, and most people would tell you, if you get a B in judgment as a lieutenant, you're done. You may as well just hang it up. You're done. And so I got to be in judgment. And my be in judgment was because I went scuba diving with Lieutenant Commander Grant Thorpe a lot. And we scuba dove under the, under the fuel pier one day. And I forgot to tell the guys at the fuel pier I was scuba diving under the fuel pier. So, so I, you know, it was my office. I parked in my office. <laughs> so minor detail. So they, so they saw us get out of the car and go into the water. He said, I think that's Lieutenant Heinrich. But nonetheless, I the CO, uh, CO uh, you know, called me next morning and said, Mark, <laughs> another Thank one you. of those calls that start off Mark. So, so in any case, you know, my time in the Philippines was great. And, and so Michelle, I, it's funny, I pulled up, we were talking about how you keep in touch with people. So I pulled up a note from Commander Michelle Skubik Back in 2003, when I when I reached out to her and I said, Michelle, I'd like you to come consider being the assistant force supply officer at Surfpack. No. I'm the I'm the new force supply officer at Surfpack, and 
I'd like you to come consider it. And she sent me a whole bunch of reasons about, you know, it could be an issue, you know, that things don't line up exactly right. And, and, and I'll probably give up my chance for a carrier. And, and, and so my point is, 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 you know, we started a dialogue with Michelle that has gone on, you know, for 20 years and, and, uh, and, and, you know, I watched her and, and cheered her on until she went to DLA and, and now she's off and, I think I asked her, I think I told her, I asked her what she's going to do next. And she told everybody, she said, I'm going to Sweden to see Taylor Swift. So. Literally so, living my dream. That's yeah, right. That's so funny. Cause yeah. I was a brand new Lieutenant when she picked up for chief of the supply corps and I was right. at work on my sub. Well, we were in the, the off crew building when they sent out the message that she'd been selected. And I just like, as a very young female supply officer, I was just like, so stoked. I was like, there it is. It's like, it's done. Somebody did it. She's got kids. Like for me, that was so meaningful. Right. It's funny. Cause it actually ended up in a very weird way, kind of not backfiring, but informing <laughs> a lot of what I do now because my command master chief at the time was furious. He was like, how dare you be excited that it's a woman it means nothing like you shouldn't celebrate this. And it was one of the first times in my career that I ever experienced like real pushback from something like that, where it was like, why does me being excited hurt you at all? (laughs) Right. Um, Michelle and I, Michelle and I were talking about this literally a week ago. And, and one of the things that, that we agreed is you should never be, you should never be critical of somebody else's choices. Yeah. Um, that you just can't. It's, 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 it is so important to be respectful of other people's choices because sure. some of them are really hard. Life is difficult as all get out. Absolutely. As it is, especially, or being, and being, you know, being a family in the supply corps, in the Navy, in any service is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people, they judge from the outside and they're like, oh, well, I wouldn't have made that decision. But on the inside, I feel like it's always more complicated than that. It's always, there's always so much, so, so many other things going on, which is why, like when you judge, it just. (laughs) Well, and, 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 and when you get the other thing, this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody, but when you, when you get to the kind of the rarefied air whether whether chief of supply or director DLA or vice commander at transcom or something like that is it's all political. I mean, it is, yeah. it is, everything is political at this point and, and people are weighing, you know, they're looking at your qualifications. They're looking at the needs of the Navy, but they're also looking at, at all the different things that are intangible. It's just, it's crazy. It really yeah. is. I remember she came to visit the supply corps school when I was an instructor there. Yeah. And <laughs> this is embarrassing because it went really badly for me. So you can judge me. <laughs> I got plenty of stories of visits that went badly for me. <laughs> I was, again, I was really excited about this because obviously when I came in to the supply corps, it had only been men up to that point. Right. And I asked if all, all the women at supply corps school could take a picture with her. Right. For our, because I was I was also part of like the oh what was the billet whatever the billet is where you do all of the like monthly recognitions, and I was like oh this will be great for our 
Women's History Month. Sure. And she was, now that I have more perspective, she was like very, she, she did it. She took the picture. Yeah, of course. But she didn't want that to be the focus of her visit was she didn't want her legacy only to be the first female and she didn't want it reduced to that. And I didn't understand that at the time because I was so junior that I was like, but to me, that is significant. And now that I have like a little more time under my belt, I'm like, but she didn't want that to be the only thing. Right. That's a really hard balance. It, it, look, it, it, you know, she's had to put up with every every woman in the Navy, whether you're a senior or junior, you know, is there there's always this undercurrent of, you know, the pink posse or something like that. You know, I've never heard that. The pink. Posse. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I've never heard that phrase. No. So it's the, the idea is the idea that ducks pick ducks, of course. And 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 that that somehow somehow a woman favors a woman or a man favors a man. And, and it's not true. And it's just, yeah. it's never been true, especially with Michelle. But, yeah. but my point is, is that, is that people who look at people like uh, command master chief or somebody like that, who people talk about, you know, the phrase, the second shooter on the grassy knoll. Mm, yes. Right. So it's, that is kind of the, that's the touchstone for a conspiracy theory because there was always during the Kennedy assassination, there was always this, this imaginary second shooter on the grassy knoll that was, part of the the broader you know conspiracy that the cia and the cubans and everybody conspired it's lunacy and so you know do people find flaws in a selection board or in a set of orders yeah but it just ends up being like are there flaws yes but it's not a conspiracy and i think when people really dig into and try and find those conspiracies sure you can find a pattern in anything but all you're really doing is distracting yourself from the ways that like you can be better the things that you can do and undermining those potential like networking opportunities you've obviously been in the position to be on those boards to get those emails be the person people want to network with like what do you see what was it like being the person who got you know got those emails what what really made people stand out the people you wanted to mentor the people that you were like okay i'll be you know i'll answer the email but it's not it's not going to be a relationship when we talk about when we talk about counseling and things like that, I if I was to think about the titles of the emails I got from people that I didn't know well, it was billet list, fit rep review, OERP <laughs> review, grad school, eight ten program, or something like that. And so, yeah. But 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 the strength of you know the supply core is built on emotion, and every organization in the Navy whether it's pilots or submariners or special warfare communities was, is built on emotion. It's, it's the personal friendships that you make along the way. And it's a long slog. You know, my 35 years, you know, I stayed in touch with people on my first ship yeah. and, and my cruiser and, and of course my carrier. And, you know, we'll talk, we'll have plenty of things to talk. I'll tell you sea stories about aircraft carriers. But uh, don't make me nervous. Uh, No, it's exciting (laughs) as hell. And the cross pollination, especially on an aircraft carrier, because, you know, as the services officers or the or the principal assistant for logistics or the assistant supply officer, you know, you don't make money by working within the supply corps and the supply department. You make money by working with the air department and the engineers and strike and the air wing and and the admiral staff and the Desron and on and on it goes. And, and especially the guys on the supply ships, 
those are your best friends. Right. And so like for you, the relationships were deliberate, but like the networking to, to an end goal maybe wasn't. You know, my career at that point was, was I just, everything was by accident, literally to everything. (laughs) Everything was by accident. My, my notes to my detailers were gobbledygook. You know, the detailers save every amount of communication you ever send them. So when I became chief, I said, send me everything I ever sent you. And I get a pile of stuff because remember back then it was all paper. I get a pile of stuff and I go, what was I thinking? (laughs) This is impossible. It's terrible news for me because I made the detailers really mad about four years ago. I don't, I truly don't even remember what it was over, but I was very difficult. I needed something and I was, I was firm. The nicest word I can think of is I was very firm and (laughs) I was a pretty new LT at the time. And my lieutenant commander was like, I think the detailers hate you. And I was like, I was like, maybe once they rotate, that won't be such a big deal. But good Until, to know that it's going to be a big deal forever. It, it, it's a big deal forever. That's right. They have, a, they have, a, they have a, a record that stays there forever. And even more so in like the digital age, right? Like emails are so easy to keep track of and, you know, control F search. And it's like, you have to be very deliberate and very like focused in what you say, because it, it really does live forever. And I think that makes comparison across even people at different units or, or you know, different year groups that much more impactful, that much easier. What's been your experience with that? So I came off Kincaid. I went to NAV ICP, which was called Aviation Supply Ops back then. And there were 14 lieutenant commanders. Whoa. And, and so you get thrown in this crucible of 14 lieutenant commanders. And, and, and Jim Davidson is up there, you know, and he's got, he's got, let's see, there's Travis, there's Heinrich, there's Smith, there's Jones. And he's going, let's see, that person's first. No, no, that person's first. And on any given day, you know, he's trying to figure out, is Alexis's arrow going up, sideways, or down? That's, that's kind of, that's kind of this, as, as simple as you can make it. Sure. By the way, they do that for flag officers too. And I used to go into <laughs> into the head of officer programs, head of flag officer programs, and and he had literally he had all the flag officers on a board in his office. <gasps> and he, you look, and your either your arrow was up, sideways, or down. No, <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, it never stops is what you're saying. It never <laughs> stops. That's right. It never stops. And so it, it it will go on for and and that you know it just does. And so, but my point is that NAV ICP, as a lieutenant commander, you know, you get into this environment where you're in a competition and now you're, you know, you're all looking at what jobs each other's doing and what, and what, how you're making a difference. And so at that point, we all started writing sitsums and a sitsum was pretty straightforward. A sitsum was basically, you'd, you'd, you'd write it, you, you never went over a page that was Perfect. absolutely forbidden. And and on that page, you wrote essentially five things. It was recent accomplishments, key activities, biggest challenges, upcoming events, and fitness and miscellaneous stuff. Sure. So I looked in my files and I hate, I stopped counting. I have hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of, of sitsums from people that work for me or whom I encourage to write sit sums to me just to 
be able to catalog stuff like this. And and by the way, I wrote sitsums, I wrote sitsums as 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 a captain, as a one star, <laughs> as a two star. Yeah. I had to write. I had to write every every two weeks. I had to write a note to the CM as chief of supply. I kind of love it though, because I had to write monthly sitsums when I was an instructor. Yeah. And for me, it was. It was good, not just because I was telling them something, but because right. it held me to something where it was like, if I haven't done that much this month and I'm like drafting it a couple of days early, it's like I have a few days to sort of get my my shit together and close out some of those loops I said I was going to close out last month mm-hmm. or do some of those things I said I was going to do. Yeah. And it, it held me to task a little bit where it was like, if I'm going to it like if I'm going to put this then I better make it say something. And that's like, okay, then I better do something. Right. And you can't just be passive. You can't just wait. Like, okay, we're, we're going. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it, yeah. it, it caused you to, it caused you to think. And so, you know, I started to write sit sums as Lieutenant, as Lieutenant commander. Here's the other thing you learn pretty quickly. Where do you get your best career advice? I mean, that's what we're here to talk about. I think it's from people two ranks above you. But. Where do you think? Where, here's what I'm going to tell you. You get your best career advice from your peers. Bar Ooh, none. Your okay. peers. Bar none. Bar none. You get your best career advice from your peers. And so that just is a truism. So, so when, when we're sitting around drinking beer, you know, and you're going, hey, I, I'd like to go to a West Coast Carrier. Everybody wants to go to a West Coast carrier, frankly, at that point, uh, and you know, or you want to get to an air station or what have you. But but you're yeah. you're everybody's kicking around why they want to do it, and and so you're listening to people's reasons, and and, and that's the value of being in a wardroom, you know, being in a carrier strike group, and you know, as you get ready to deploy, you'll make sure that everybody in the strike group comes over to the comes over to the carrier, you know, and you or you go to the club, and because. You know, one of the, I'm going to, I'm off on a tangent again, so I'm sorry for that. But people, people, if you go back into the 80s, what's the whole reason that we have a club system? To know each other. Right. And to build esprit de corps and unit cohesion before you leave home port and go to fight. Yeah. And so that's the whole reason you have a club system. You know, so you can get together. As an organization, as a group, as a unit, as a squadron, as a as a department, and or a wardroom, and you can you can find the time to coalesce so you know each other better, and that way you fight better as a team. And so, sure. and so you know you'll do that with the carrier, and and it's really important. So the carrier supply officers will get to know each other, you know, and so when somebody from one of the the escort ships the 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 cruiser or a couple of the destroyers or maybe even the sub, you know, says, Hey, I got a question about something or I need help with something or I need this or that the other thing or I need some advice. You know, you'll know who you're talking to on the other end. It's not just some faceless voice or a message that I don't know who it's from. That's really the power of networking. Is like if I have a technical requirement, I can kind of reach out to anybody and say, I have a right. question. I need a very specific factual answer and in my experience anyone I reach out to of the appropriate rank and experience can provide that but if what you need is advice you need help you need favors you need that esprit de corps you need to I need you to understand who I am 
right? So that the conversation we have is more productive. That's where that networking really comes in. That's right. Yeah. And so, and so my networking, my networking didn't until I was a Lieutenant commander uh, at, at ASO, I hadn't done a lick of networking, honestly. It's so hard to believe that because you can remember the names of everybody from everywhere. It feels like to me, but it's great to hear that because I think it's really intimidating when people do decide to stay or they're trying to do something a little later in their career. They've kind of been going with the flow and they're like, oh no, is it too late? And it's great to hear that you didn't start until, you know, later really being active in networking. And clearly you were successful because you're the 46th chief of the supply corps. And that's just right. the fact of life. But my point is, is, is when, when you're out, you know, as a supply officer, You've already done the hard work. You did the hard work before you got underway. <laughs> true in supply and true in your career. You got to do the hard work before before things get going. We had we had a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Admiral Heinrich for his stories and his insight. We ran a little short of time with him to do the leadership challenge. So I'm going to talk through it a little bit, how I would approach it. And hopefully that will provide a little bit of insight at least. A lot of what we heard today from Admiral Heinrich is about how being in different roles and meeting people and leveraging those experiences and the bonding through those work roles really helped him in his career. And one of the things that I experienced in my first few years was the opposite of that. I ended up being in a couple of positions where there just weren't a lot of supply officers around or a lot of people that I related to or could help me with my career. And so I had to be a lot more deliberate. So the leadership challenge this week is there's a billet in your community. You've had your eye on it since you first joined. It's a great location. It looks challenging. It's exciting. It would be really good for your career. And it's about four years out, right? So you either just got a new set of orders and you want this for your next job or you need to be another rank, but it's a really good idea when you're looking at your career. I was always told to try and like, quote unquote, detail yourself two jobs out. You want to be looking ahead a few years so that you can have those relationships like we talked about with Admiral Heinrich, where you aren't just, you know, a one-off email, need help with this billet list. And so that there's a face and a relationship and an understanding behind those requests. So you're about four years away from being eligible for the billet. You You know that you're going to need recommendation letters and guidance to kind of get there. And in the leadership challenge, the first thing that's coming up is a base-wide hail and bail, right? So there's a base-wide event, which is always a really good opportunity. People usually are in uniform. There's usually like music, chatting, food, drinks, whatever. A really good opportunity to kind of low-key introduce yourself to people. So there's several people who will are senior to you in your community who will be at this event. The one person on base who's had that job won't be at the hail and bail. You know that because you know they're at some big event, whatever. And I want to talk about how you can leverage that event and that other person to sort of start building your network and earn that job. In the Substack this week, I talk about first you need to understand how their career path, how their personal life, you know, things like that have impacted them. And if that's not publicly available knowledge, you don't know if they're married and have kids or you don't know if they have the same commissioning source as you or if they're a prior enlisted like you or how they came up that's always a really good icebreaker. You know, I'm interested in your career. I'd love to learn more about you. Those are always good kind of ways to start conversations and start to feel out if a mentor relationship is right with someone. It's sort of weird because sometimes it can be like dating where it's like, hey, we need to see if this is a good fit. More than just saying, if you are the right rank, then you're the right fit. 
there's a lot more to it than that. And that doesn't mean that people with different choices, different career paths, different lifestyles, then you can't provide good information. You just need to understand how what they're going to tell you will align with what you need to know or what your priorities are before you get going. So for me, I would do, you know, the open networking event. I would find something to comment about. I would learn about the people who were going to be there a little bit so I can say, hey, you were on this ship. I think that's really interesting. Can you tell me about this deployment? Or I saw that you, I see that you're qualified in this area. Can you, you know, tell me a little bit about what that was like? Those are really good kind of icebreakers to get in that conversation. And then you want to have your elevator pitch ready. And that's really just who you are, what are you excited about? What is something unique you bring to the table? And what are you interested in talking to that person about, right? So one of kind of my quick elevator pitches is, you know, oh, I'm Alexis Travis and my background is with the CBs and submarines and then I instructed for a little while. I worked with Warrior Toughness and I got my MBA, but what I'm really interested on is quality of life and mental, mental health. And so I'm using my career to find ways to look into policy or kind of understand the broader struggles in the Navy. And that really quick summary gives people basically what they need to know about my career, but also something that isn't just my bio um, and something that we can talk about, bond over, they probably have an opinion on. That's what you want to bring to those conversations. And then for the other person who specifically had this billet, you have a very easy in for the cold call or a warm call if after that event, one of those people is like, hey, I know this person who you might want to talk to. You can leverage that into the warm introduction. But if you do go with a cold call, then it, it becomes basically the same thing, right? So I would email them, my name is Alexis Travis, I'm currently X. And I understand that you used to serve in this role. I'm really interested in that role for these reasons, right? Because I think it gives me a unique perspective because I think it would be challenging and interesting and very different than what I've done before, or it would advance my understanding of this specific area of expertise. And I really want to become an expert in that area. As someone eager to grow and develop, I'm reaching out to see if you would be interested in meeting up with me for coffee or lunch to discuss your experience in that role and what you feel like helped prepare you for that. And it can be that simple, right? Because that's really what you want from them. It has a very clear ask and it says, okay, maybe it's an office call, but maybe it's also something a little less formal so that you can start to build that relationship. And I think when you take kind of this multi-pronged approach where you meet the people you can, you reach out to the people, that interest you and you have those sort of clear communications ahead of time where it's this is who I am, this is my larger goal, this is something we have in common, that is how you're going to start to build those relationships. And then the next most important thing is that long-term maintenance. This is the part that I personally am worst at and one of the things that I find myself having to do all the time is set reminders in my calendar like these are the days I'm gonna reach out to people or I need to sit down and really answer emails on these days because I find the emotional labor of networking really, really tiring. I find like pulling up all of that genuine emotion though is just like I have to be in the right headspace and if I'm tired from work or if I'm tired from, you know, my kids have been up all night, it can be really hard for me to bring an authentic and engaging version of myself to this. So I try and schedule it out and say like, okay, I'm gonna reach out about summer vacations or the holidays. I'm going to follow up about this career change. 
But I try to make sure that I'm doing that at least every few months so that changes in my career are salient to them and so that it's not just a, I reach out when I need something. I reach out because I care. I reach out because I want to know. I reach out because I value our relationship. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being deliberate in that because I think the real thing is people want it to be spontaneous and then you get lost in the checklist, the to-dos drumbeat, the everyday drumbeat, and then it doesn't happen and then you can't go back and change that. So. I would be really deliberate about this after I had these first meetings. I would probably set up, you know, calendar reminders every few months to touch base, ask what they think has changed in the community, and follow up, maybe not even just about this job, but about my career. If I got a fit rep during this time, I would take it to them and say, hey, can you look this over with me? What should I be, you know, trying for in my next fit rep? What do I need these blocks to say to make it more likely that I'll get into that position? And if you keep that alive throughout the next couple of years, that's when you'll find these networks, you know, really start to pay off. Maybe not in that position, you don't necessarily get that billet, but you might get that billet or you might see something zag the way we talked about with Admiral Heinrich, where you get called up to a different position, it advances your career. And it's something that's also interesting to you that maybe you didn't even know before you spoke with these people. I hope this has given you a little bit of a different perspective on networking, demystified it a little bit and really helped show you the value of building those relationships and maintaining them. As always, this is a free and available resource to anyone. So the most important thing you can do to support it is to like, share, subscribe, those kinds of things, smash that subscribe button. And for this one, especially, I think if you know someone who is nervous about networking, doesn't really know where to start, the Substack this week has those scripts. You can plug and play. You can really start to make a difference. And don't be too scared about the, uh, your communications are forever. We've all made mistakes. Admiral Heinrich talked about it. I talked about it. And no one expects you to be perfect, not in your job, not in networking. We're humans and that reality, that ability to ask for help, to show that you want to grow is what's most important. So I look forward to rounding out this week with our, whew, finally getting caught up with our podcasts and sub stacks. And we have a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So stay tuned.